Welcome to Global Data Pod Research Wrap. I'm Nora Santivani, Senior Global Economist here at JP Morgan, and joining me today is Mike Hansen, also from the Global Economics team. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? All right, how are you, Nora? I'm all good, thanks. So today we're going to discuss our takeaways from the January CPI reports, which are now available for all 30 of the major developed and emerging market economies that we follow in our monthly global inflation monitor report. Um, what are we seeing broadly? Well, we, we, we came into the new year looking for uh, validation of our top-down views that after very substantial progress on disinflation globally in the, especially in the sort of second half of last year, global disinflation process was set to stall around the start of the year. And we highlighted that we thought core inflation could get sticky around the 3% mark in the first half. Now, the January CPI data, they do tend to be more noisy than, than other months. And you know that's due to price adjustments that take place at the start of each year. But we'd like to think there's some signal coming from these numbers. And those signals from what I can see are broadly aligning with our top-down views that there is a stickiness in core inflation around 3% at the start of the year. Uh, if we look outside of U.S. used car prices, which we'll come to uh, a bit later, global goods prices are no longer falling. So that's signaling an end to uh, that deflationary period we saw over the second half of last year in, in core goods. Meanwhile, services inflation remains elevated and, and sticky, and that's uh, sort of challenging this uh, you know, last mile, so to speak, in the core inflation numbers. We are still seeing some decline in the over year ago inflation rates. Uh, but as I mentioned on these run rates, sort of three month annualized run rates, there is a little bit of pickup at the start of the year. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you hit on basically what are the, the main thematic points of what we're seeing on inflation, right? One is that uh, going into the late last year, uh, so in the monthly run rates had gotten very low and we were a bit skeptical that maybe they had kind of to some sense undershot where the kind of mm -hmm. media trend was going to be right so that was one of the reasons why we were thinking we could see a bit more firmness now and i think the data have confirmed that right um and that's of course been significant for markets i think markets were kind of doing a bit of a straight line extrapolation late last year yeah. to low inflation very quickly and had price central banks to move very quickly on the back of that and obviously that's that's changed since then as we've gotten the most recent data and I think within that, you've highlighted, I think, the two key dynamics, particularly on the core inflation front, and we can talk about them in more detail. Right? One is this idea that you had a pretty significant deflation in core goods, right? Um, and you know, there was obviously you know, weak PPI in China. There was a you know, supply chain uh, normalization, um, you know, this idea that maybe uh, you know, the weakness in the manufacturing sector was all contributing to that. And a lot of those have either stabilized or reversed. And then, of course, services, as you mentioned, looks like it's still remaining fairly sticky. Uh, I was surprised we went through the numbers. It's even stickier or firmer, it seems, in, in the EM than DM. I've, I've been focusing on some of the DM central banks and how they've been looking at the sticky services inflation there, and it's running around 3%. But I think in EM outside of China, it's running even stronger, right? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, I was looking at that too. I was looking at the kind of uh, quite strong variation in uh, services inflation across countries because core goods is broadly speaking a similar trend, although even there, there's a bit of variation. But uh, the, the variation across countries is is very notable on, on the services front. I think you're right. In EM, services inflation is 
stable at a more elevated level. Although if we take Russia out, and I was playing with the numbers a little bit, if we take Russia out of it, then, you know, in level terms, everything everything drops a fair bit. Uh, but there's certainly stickiness. So I think that's a common theme across US, DM, XQS, EM is their stickiness. But what I would say is outside of the U.S., we're not seeing that acceleration really at the start of the year, whereas in the U.S., there's a clear pickup. Right. And we can we can talk through the, the various, um, you know, what, what part of that is noise and what part of it is signal. But but elsewhere, I would say the message on the services side is in, in EM, where uh, kind of uh, stabilizing at this uh, somewhere around. Uh, the five percent mark in DM outside of U.S. It's about three percent on services inflation, and and the U.S. as I mentioned has spiked up quite significantly here, to above six percent on a three-month run rate. So quite a bit of variation across countries, which almost certainly will feed back into what central how central banks are thinking. But we'll pick that up a, a little bit later, perhaps in the discussion here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in terms of maybe diving a little bit into some of the the more the details there, right? Um, we want to focus maybe first on the good side. Mm -hmm. Part of the weakness you've talked about, kind of idiosyncratic components and some uniqueness to the U.S. Obviously, used car prices were very weak in the U.S. and really pulled things down. Um, it looks like the industry level data is suggesting that that source of weak goods prices is likely going to dissipate fairly quickly. Right. And so if you mm -hmm. combine that with the fact that, you know, as you and I wrote about not that long ago, you're seeing some signs of confirming and shipping prices. They're, they're not accelerating further, but they've, they've you know, jumped up a good 150 percent or so from where they were three months ago. Um, and of course, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, alluded to this idea that some of the disinflationary forces coming out of China's PPI may be fading a little bit as well. If you've got the manufacturing sector also starting to find its legs and maybe running the inventory levels down, all of these point to some firming in goods prices. And again, it's not like goods prices are going to take off, but they've been a really significant deflationary or disinflationary force for the overall inflation numbers. And that looks like it may have kind of run its course. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Mike. If we take U.S. car prices or overall U.S. auto prices uh, out, then what we see globally is core goods prices rose uh, almost 0.2% month on month in January. So that's, you know, that's a clear firming. Uh, from recent months and, and that phase of deflation. And, you know, that aligns with our view that we're kind of coming to this uh, end of this period of global goods price deflation over the first half of the year. Uh, it remains to be seen how high uh, core goods inflation actually gets. Right now, we're forecasting somewhere in this sort of 0.5 to 1% annualized range in the first half of the year. We're closely monitoring things like shipping costs, which, as we've argued, will probably take a few more months to start showing up in the CPI data. We're monitoring things like PMI, supplier delivery times, output prices. For what it's worth, those seem to be kind of stabilizing. And you can speak a bit more to this, but we had seen briefly for a couple of months the lengthening in delivery times, but now we didn't see a further lengthening in the in the latest um, uh, PMIs. So all in all, to me, it you know this suggests that we've had this sort of one-time big increase in uh, shipping costs, but there's still broadly, um, you know, quite limited fallout to supply chains more broadly from these geopolitical tensions. So there's some modest upward pressure, but nothing too severe. Yeah. And again, I think that the the, the punchline to this is, is what we'd said uh, throughout is that we're not looking for a really 
rapid or meaningful acceleration in goods prices. What we are looking for is the big disinflationary force that they were late last year uh, to, to broadly fade. And so if you're going to have inflation continue to come down and not get stuck and not have this last mile challenge that you talked about at the very beginning, you need to see other sources mm -hmm. of inflation, right? And there, if you kind of turn to services, you know, we can maybe zero in on the U.S. for a second there. You obviously saw a pretty notable jump in January uh, on the services. Um, our expectation is that will probably translate into some reasonable firmness for the PCE, core PCE we'll get at the end of the week here in the U.S. Um, a notable piece of that that I would probably lean against, though, to some extent, is the fact that shelter inflation, rental shelter, jumped quite dramatically hmm. uh, in the January numbers. Uh, and that does seem at odds with how we've been thinking about what its underlying determinants are. You know, we've been trying to model it off of, again, industry data, recognizing that kind of front end rents have cooled much more than this sort of effective, you know, slow moving, moving average that goes into the data that the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports in the U.S. But the last, you know, three months now have surprised the upside in January, particularly notable to the upside there. So that's something that obviously is a factor. Uh, when you well, go Mike, so there's an, yeah. another another significant piece of the rise, and I'm sure you're coming to this, but I'll, yeah. I'll just mention it anyway. So a lot of the rise does seem to come from the super core component, right? Which, you know, we that, that's the sort of core services X um, shelter, shelter, right? And we, we had identified that as being kind of oddly low in the second half of last year. It had decelerated very rapidly. It seemed to somehow um not aligned very well with the fundamentals and the strength of the labor market so we were a little bit puzzled by why that was slowing and at that time we made the argument that you know some of that was likely to rebound at some point and there were some non-market prices also playing an important role so what are we seeing on the super core front in january yeah, well, again, January was crazy, right? Because it was up eight tenths, and that's almost certainly not a, a longer run trend growth rate for Supercore in, in the um, the CPI and the PCE. It's probably going to be up somewhere six to seven tenths potentially, based on our tracking estimates. We'll obviously see the numbers later this week, right? I think what you saw late last year were a couple of sectors that had been really big drags that have since kind of faded. One was health insurance, and that's just basically a technical issue in the way in which, again, the Bureau of Labor Statistics pulls together those numbers. It went from being a, a pretty big negative to a much more significant add. And then airfares, you might think would be moving around, or maybe not moving around, you might think would be strong with kind of, you know, post-pandemic revenge travel and all that. But in fact, they tend to move very closely with what happens with energy prices. We'll probably come to that shortly, but this had actually been fairly weak earlier, and then they've, they've firmed it up a fair bit more recently. If you strip away a lot of these variable components, and so it's kind of a, a super core, super core, right? Obviously, as you slice and dice the inflation numbers, you start to get yeah. down. To, there's there's some questionable thing here, but you know, kind of focusing on things that may be more closely related to what's happening in the labor market. I mean, those are still running at three to four tenths a month, mm. right? so that that seems to suggest that that firmness uh, is with us. And if you compare the three month to the OIA version of that, it, it, it's gone from a little bit below four to a little bit above 4% on an OIA basis, or not, excuse me, on an annualized basis. So again, it suggests that um, that last mile is gonna be a bit more challenging. And at least in the US, and I would argue in, in some of the other DM central banks as well, you've heard central bankers acknowledge mm -hmm. that they're going to be more patient, they're going to be uh, more deliberate, they are in no rush to ease, I think in, in no small part because of this. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. It's all consistent with this uh, sticky stickiness in, in core that I think will promote 
caution uh, by DM uh, central banks, as you say, although there's been interesting variation within DM as well. We've seen uh, easing in Canada, for example, in services inflation. I'm just looking at right. the the right. details, um, some firming in Sweden on the run rate, although the OI is still coming down. In EM, I would highlight EM Asia as having very moderate services inflation at this point, although we've known that for some time, but I think that right. continues to moderate. Uh, whereas we still see, uh, you know, quite firm numbers in parts of Latin. Brazil, interestingly, has seen some reacceleration in services, inflation and, and stickiness there. So so some quite interesting wrinkles at the country level here and nuances. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about core, but maybe we maybe a quick yeah. detour into food and energy to kind of round out the, the headline discussion there. Right. So um, obviously, energy prices had been weak for a time. They firmed up more recently. You know, we're looking for. Uh, energy prices or oil prices specifically to run pretty close to what they're running right now, right? The forecast for next quarter from our commodities team is about $84 a barrel. I checked this morning, we're at 83, right? So some of that earlier disinflation mm -hmm. coming from energy maybe has, has faded a decent amount there. I don't know if you have any additional thoughts there and then maybe have you also talk about food. Yeah, I mean, falling consumer energy prices were a significant part of the headline disinflation that we saw in the fourth quarter, and we noted that was a significant support to real consumer spending. That is turning around slowly, but there is a partial reversal of that deflation in energy CPI. So we've, um, you know, we've gone from a minus nine percent annualized run rate in December, we're minus five in January, and, and if the move up in Brent crude oil uh, continues as we're forecasting, then energy CPI would uh, start to turn uh, a positive in terms of its contribution to headline uh, probably by March. So that deflation in, in consumer energy prices is, is, is certainly fading. Um, now, outside of that, un unless we wanna say anything else on, on energy prices, uh, I, I was more struck by the food inflation developments. Uh, what we've seen there is, even though at the global level, food inflation is not doing a whole lot, we're kind of steady around this 3.5% pace, there's a significant divergence now between EM and DM. And EM food inflation has rebounded pretty strongly. We're running at six and a half percent, although, you know, that's not out of line with the kind of volatility we've had in EM food inflation historically. But certainly we are seeing the impact of a strong El Nino um, on consumer fresh food prices in some EM countries, specifically Brazil and Mexico. Now, Brazil was one that we had, I think, flagged earlier. Mexico, I think, was a bit more of a surprise. And there it's been particularly the impact of the, the hurricanes, which are related to El Nino, uh, pushing up to, tomato and onion prices in particular. Now, the good news is that after a very significant spike in those prices, those pressures now look to be dissipating at the start of February. So I think that's also a broader comment for El Nino that we've made, that even though this is a strong El Nino, its impact looks to be dissipating uh, quite fast here as we enter into, um, you know, later part of first quarter, probably, you know, based on the latest weather projections, it looks like it could start to fade out and, and fade completely, possibly already by the second quarter. So that would be kind of reassuring for our view that after a pickup in the first quarter, food inflation generally should, um, you know, 
ease and, and stabilize around this three, four percent mark. There's any lags, but yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, now broadly uh, outside of the localized weather uh, driven uh, spikes in inflation, if we look at globally traded food prices uh, as measured by the FAO food price index, those are very encouraging in that uh, we see a continued decline through January. So globally traded food prices, you know, continue to trend uh trend lower here. So all in all, I would say outside of El Nino, we're not really seeing any kind of meaningful upward pressure. So that's that should be a relief <laughs> to some extent. Right. Yeah, and I guess if we zoom out and we kind of think about what this means looking forward, I mean, obviously for the for the quarter, we are thinking that inflation is firming globally relative to where it was in the fourth quarter. And the fourth quarter may have been, like we said earlier, a bit of an understatement of what the underlying trend is. But we don't really have that firmness sticking around all that long. I mean, it does start to come off a bit in the second quarter, and certainly by the end of the year, you're seeing inflation continue to decelerate. And so I think you know, we've been perhaps a little bit surprised at some of the dynamics of late. We'll have to see how that plays out. But I think it is worth noting that some meaningful firming in the first quarter, some of that starts to ease in the second quarter and then continues as we go forward, which obviously opens the doors for central banks, particularly in the developed market space, where they really haven't started the easing process as, as contrast to many EM central banks uh, to ease later this year. But we've been long maintaining this idea um, that the likelihood of the DM central bank easing starting fairly soon as markets were pricing as recently as maybe a couple of weeks ago was, was not, we thought really in the cards and sure enough, market pricing has moved in our direction now. And we have the vast majority of the DM central banks likely to start to ease policy fairly gradually by the middle of the year, basically. Um, you know, we've got perhaps Sweden moving a little bit earlier and some risk that Canada does, um, then the, the RBNZ. Uh, and then in June, we've got the Fed and the ECB and the BOE following it in uh, August. But in the EM space, there's obviously a lot more variability. And there's certainly a large number of central banks that have already started easing. It's like some are continuing, some maybe perhaps moving a little more cautiously given what's happening in the DM space and, and financial conditions. So maybe you want to Pick that up quickly. Yeah, and look, in EM, I suppose things look a bit more benign at the start of the year in that inflation continued to ease. So we haven't seen that reacceleration that we saw in the US or for in the euro area for that matter. And overall uh, core inflation for EM, we you know we have moderating to about three and a half percent here mm -hmm. uh, in the first quarter. And you know, continuing to moderate probably closer to 3%. So, you know, those rates are very much within comfort zones, as we've been highlighting on this call for a number of months now. And you know, it allows EM central banks to pretty much uh, set policy according to their own macro fundamentals and continue to ease policy as appropriate. Uh, if you look at the, you know, the global backdrop is still very favorable for EM central banks. We have a you know, financial conditions are still fairly benign. You've got this easing in inflation, elevated real rates. And it's really interesting that despite this large repricing of U.S. Uh, front-end rate expectations, we've not seen much of a repricing in EM. So EM has actually been pretty resilient to this backup in uh, U.S. Uh, policy, policy rate expectations. And I, again, I think that speaks to the kind of resilience and uh, the the disinflation that that continues in EM, and yeah, I think generally central banks favor a gradual pace of easing, but where appropriate, we are 
seeing space for you know some easing cycles to even accelerate but there will be cases where the fed you know remains very critical and that's mainly in em asia where you know we, we still think that most central banks will wait for uh the fed to pull the trigger so with that in mind for the fed you know it feels like all considered first quarter inflation a significant upside surprise, even though from, from February, March, we, we do look for um, CPI, core CPI run rates to ease back to this zero to five month on month. First quarter will be quite strong. Second quarter will be easing, as you mentioned, but it's not entirely clear that we're going to get numbers that are consistent with um, the Fed's yeah. idea of uh, being at target on a sustained basis. Do you think risks have shifted in the direction that core inflation in the US as well as labor markets surprise the Fed in the hawkish direction. I mean, certainly when we look back at their latest SEP, it feels like we're running quite strong relative to the projections they had there. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I think there's little doubt that recent speeches from Fed officials have not only solidified the idea that they're not going to go in, in March, but have in many instances you know, highly this idea that later this year is a commonly used phrase would be appropriate to start considering uh, easing. You had uh, one of the Fed governors, uh, Governor Waller, suggested he would need to see at least uh, a few more uh, inflation reports that show a, a benign uh, tendency before he would be comfortable talking about possibly cutting rates. Um, and the vice chair, uh, Vice Chair Jefferson, noted in a recent speech that in the easing cycle in the mid-90s, the Fed cut and then went on hold for several meetings before it cut again. So I think that you're starting to see markets uh, reconsider not just when the Fed is going to start, but maybe what that pace is going to be going forward in terms of the total number of cuts we're going to have this year. I think we were, we're down now below uh, 100 uh, basis points. I think we're closer to about three cuts for, for the year. We were as high as seven at one point, not that long ago, right? So there's been a meaningful shift there. And I think it is an interesting question, particularly for some of the EM central banks like in Asia that you highlighted, if the Fed is going to go even later, which not our call, but clearly there's some risk there, um, that could have some meaningful spillover to what central banks elsewhere decide to do. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, maybe let's just round out the discussion here on central banks to some of the others. Uh, for the euro area, we got some distortions in the January CPI numbers as well. There was a VAT hike on German restaurant prices. If we cut through all these distortions, and obviously we had the weights distortions uh, plaguing us uh, through the latter part of 2023, the underlying core inflation is running around a 3% pace in the euro area at the start of the year. So that's broadly in line with the pace we've seen in recent months. And that gradually, gradual easing over time should take core inflation uh, below 3% year on year by the spring and more medium term, it looks like we're aligning with the ECB's uh, 2% target. So I think for the ECB, uh, you know, we're very much still in, in the camp that they can start easing around the middle of the year. Uh, for Japan, there was some moderation in January. That's a very different story. <laughs> <laughs> a very different story, yeah. We're expecting core inflation, despite that moderation, to stay above 2% for the year ahead. And we've we've had some recent rise in wage momentum that should lift services inflation. So the team there are still uh, thinking that the data broadly support the BOJ to proceed with policy normalization, although at yeah, a gradual I, pace. Yeah, I think the story there is a bit more nuanced because the market has been anticipating that the 
financial conditions and whatnot, and some of the rhetoric out of the BOJ would really force them to back away from a negative interest rate policy in March or April. And we've mm. been very much pushing against that yeah. uh, because we thought they'd do a more gradual normalization. But I think what's complicated that story is that the activity data has come in meaningfully weak late last year and early this year, right? Japan effectively slipped into a technical recession, if you will. Uh, the forward-looking uh, indicators for January for activity also look very soft. And so I think there's some question about just, you know, how the, the Bank of Japan is going to proceed. We actually think that the first steps, the normalization, will not necessarily be moving away from the from the NERP policy, but rather changes on balance sheet and guidance and whatnot. So I, you're right. There's a gradual move there, but it's become a more nuanced and, I think, complicated story, interestingly. So we'll see how it plays. Perfect. Shall we leave it there, Mike, for today? Sounds great. Okay. Thanks very much for joining us uh, and to our listeners for tuning into the Global Data Pod Research Wrap. We hope to have you on on the next episode. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2024 JP Morgan Chase & Company All Rights Reserved. This episode was recorded on February 27, 2024.